What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This episode is powered by DenMeditation.com. The meditation is the primary focus. The bigger goal is for people to understand and love themselves, thus creating more harmony in the community at large. To find out more about Den Meditation's teacher training programs, retreats, and all things Den Meditation, go to DenMeditation.com. Welcome to Den Talks Podcast. This is Tal, your host and the founder of Den Meditation. You guys know I love these conversations and I hope you get as much out of them as I do. Today's really interesting. It is a new twist. We've got a meditation teacher. She's also a breathwork facilitator, but she created her own modality called cannabis meditation. And so we really discuss how bringing cannabis into her own practice has really shifted. It allowed her to actually acknowledge her nervous system. She was she had a huge practice. She really studied and practiced and did yoga for a long time before she actually combined these two sides of her. And it just really allowed her to open up and go deeper into her healing. You know, we talk a lot about the somatic practice and I do that a lot in my practice. So anyone who studies with me knows that I don't let you get away with just kind of, you know, breathing and meditating. You got to go into your own shit, right? We got to feel it in our body because once we notice where it is in our body, we can start to actually allow it to dissipate because everything is energy. We talk a lot about this. She goes a lot into what the nervous system is, how it holds on to these memories, how it holds on to these traumas, and how using cannabis has really helped alleviate kind of this block that doesn't always allow you, this disassociation that doesn't always allow you to just feel what you're feeling. And I know for some people, they might say, well, I don't want to feel that. That's scary. But it is freedom. And we get into that a lot, that the ability of this. And look, what I love about her story too, she was diagnosed with depression from age 14. So this has really shifted her relationship with depression, how her brain actually works. This is beautiful stuff. It's not only you know, a great idea and something to try and maybe a way that you can go deeper into your own practice. But it's also just another beautiful reason to get into any practice because it is a reminder of how deep we can go into ourselves, how deep we can go once we start having awareness of who we are and how much we can let go and then really step into the power of who we truly are. I hope you um, enjoy her. This is, did I even say her name? This is Colette Alosha. I don't even think I said that up top. That's how excited I was to just get into it. So we have Colette here. And again, another cool thing, we are actually doing a workshop with her. So go to denmeditation.com on 420. It is a new moon on a Thursday eve and it is virtual. So anyone can do it anywhere. You can do cannabis or not. It's up to you. It's going to be a very deep practice regardless, but go sign up, go to denmeditation.com and do it. So enjoy Colette as much as I did. I hope you have a shift or it opens something up within you because I actually think it will. Well, hello. Hello. <laughs> nice to have you on. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to just hear your journey because I love it. You obviously, you know, teach breath work and you do meditation, but you're also very specific with cannabis meditation. So I want to get into that at some point. Um, but when you started your journey, did it start around cannabis or was it totally different? No, it started with meditation. 
Well, I mean, I guess technically it started with cannabis. I've been smoking weed since I was 17, <laughs> right? Not always consciously and certainly not always ethically or responsibly um, because it was very much stigmatized as we all kind of grew up in that world. And so it was an escape. It was a drug. It was for fun. It was for partying and all those things. And so then later in my life, when I found, when I started pursuing yoga and meditation and breath work, I, those two things were very separate in my life. It was like, oh, we get up in the morning and we meditate and we do our yoga and we take care of our body. And then I come over here at nighttime and I do this bad thing. Mm. And so there was this real distinction between these two things. Um, um, and so then after about studying yoga and meditation and breath work for a couple of years and keeping those two things very separate, I was feeling like I just kept hitting a wall in my growth and I wasn't making any progress. And I was frustrated one day and probably like a little spiteful, to be honest. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to smoke weed and meditate and see what happens. And I did. And it was the most profound experience of my entire life up to that point. Well, I, I, I want to oh, get okay, into what that experience was like, but yeah, but it is interesting because I do, I find it's still too, people are very precious about their practice, right? It's mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a lot of like, you can't drink, you can't do this. If you're really going to meditate, you shouldn't, whatever. So do you feel like that was a little bit of what you were experiencing when you were entering that world? Oh, yes. And every, like I studied meditation through the spiritual uh, side of it through yoga and Buddhism and all these other ways, but I also studied it through the scientific side of mindfulness-based stress reduction, all of these different aspects. And all of them say, don't you dare, don't you dare, don't you dare. That is wrong. It's bad. Um, it's tainting your practice. It's real, you know, all of these things. And I believed it because I didn't know the difference, you know, and I was still ascribing to the same stigma of cannabis that we all were and all have. And so, yeah, in some ways it was like, oh, I'm over here and I do good by meditating. And then I come over here to my little bad habit and I smoke weed and it's separate, you know? Um, and so, yeah, all the teachings on the planet say, don't mix it with, with mind altering compounds. And I was just kind of like, well, let's try it. See what happens. <laughs> so you were spiteful, just annoyed in a bad mood. And so mm -hmm. tell me when you say it was the most profound experience, what, what felt different than when you normally meditated? Um, well, I think just the combination of the way you know, I didn't have the language at the time. Let me start there because I didn't understand what was happening to the nervous system and to the mind when you work with cannabis inside of a meditation practice. And so it sort of really took me by surprise. Um, but basically it opens the body and it expands the mind in such a powerful way that when you couple it with an intentional practice like meditation or prayer or some type of sacred ritual, you bring the heart space into such a higher consciousness that the plant medicine really opens you up and takes you on a journey. And so ultimately, the fir very first cannabis meditation was, in some cases, the equivalent of a psychedelic journey, even though I wouldn't have called it that at the time, and I didn't have that language. But cannabis is a plant medicine, just like any of these other psychedelics. And so when you know how to work with her, she will take you on those types of journey like experiences. And if you're not prepared for that, it can feel a little bit overwhelming, uh, and a little bit shocking, because in our minds, it's just weed and it's stigmatized and it doesn't do, you know, it's bad, it's dirty, it's wrong. It should never be connected to something holy or sacred or um, something that's ritual or important to the, to the, the soul or the spirit. Which is so funny because it is a plant. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, yes. it's like, right. And it's of the earth. So you would think anything that comes of the earth should be held sacred. And yes, yes. It's just, it's very, very effective how 
um, incredible they were really at the propaganda in brainwashing all of us in believing that cannabis is bad and it's a drug and it's wrong and you're bad or wrong if you use it in any way, shape or form. But then to come out and say, oh, by the way, you can also use it in a sacred practice or in a, a holy practice or a ritualistic practice or a spiritual or rit a religious practice. Then it's like, oh, how dare you? You can't ever bring those two things together. And I'm just my experience over and over and over and over again is proving otherwise that this plant is so help helpful and so powerful in supporting people that are on a journey of seeking whatever it is that you're seeking, seeking the higher self, seeking inner peace, seeking greater knowing, seeker, seeking connection to your intuition, or just spiritual or esoteric wisdom that is intriguing or fascinating to you. If you're seeking something, the plants will all support the path in getting there, and cannabis is no different. So talk about that first time for you. You sat down and just have a regular meditation. Did you do anything special or different about it besides the fact that you were high? Like yes, I did. I, I I made sure to set the whole container. I wanted it to be very intentional from the from the moment I began. And a part of that was out of fear that everyone that was saying, don't ever mix these two things, you're going to mm. get smited or you're going to whatever. You know, I was raised in a very evangelical Christian kind of environment. And so this notion of like being bad or wrong was something that was very present for me. And so I created the space in my home. I actually prayed over it or blessed the, the medicine itself before I consumed it. I lit some candles. I had some music playing and I just set this intentional environment. And then I consumed my cannabis. I laid down. I took myself through a body scan meditation. I focused on my breath. And it wasn't by the time I got to the heart space in moving through a body scan that I completely opened into this mystical experience is what it was. And so the the, the experience was so profound because it was this overwhelming awareness of fear that I was holding in my body mm. that I had no idea was there. And so I had been meditating and had been working and yoga and breath and all these things. And this thing was hiding inside of me for so long. And so I just was weeping really at the presence of that. I, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is, and it's like how I do my practice in the morning and it's just when you can find how you hold energy in your body, it's so fascinating. Because I, I tell any client I work with too, I'm like, look, you'll be surprised what you find sometimes. Like for me, sometimes in the morning, the first thing I might find anxiety and I am not an anxious person. Yes. Like I don't wear it. It's like, it'd be one thing if someone's like, I'm anxious, so I find anxiety. It's like, yes. I'm actually really not very anxious. When I find it, I'm always like, huh, this is interesting. Like what yes. is it about? And it's not usually yes. something so overt or obvious. And I mean, you should talk about it. I'll, I'll open up the platform to you a little bit more. But I do think people are missing this whole part of their practice, which is actually super simple, that it can be very simple if you allow it, of just allowing a sensation to guide you into a very deep place um, and finding. So for you, it was fear for that first yes. one, which I'm sure was like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't even know yes. it was here. Yes. Right. And if you do it every day, you're going to, it can be really small or it can be large. And sometimes what I find fun, I find it fun. I'm sure other people are like, oh God. <laughs> and then when it like unravels, like when you can breathe yes. through enough that it yes. unravels and then it like pops over so somewhere else. And yep. so then you keep going. And then sometimes the memories that might come through and you're like, what the fuck? I had no clue that this thing was connected to this, which now we're over here. What? Yes. And you realize this long thread of shit that has been mm -hmm. living in you that is connected this to that, to this, to that. And you just breathe through the whole damn thing. 
Yes. And it feels quite like literally pulling out this long thread. And it's like, I imagine this hair that's wrapped around all these different spaces and it just kind of tickles and feels weird and gross. Right. But yes, you're pulling that thread out. And so what that moment of fear revealed to me, A, was not only the fear that was present in my body, but how unaware of it I was. And this was fairly early on. This is several years ago. So I was still early on in my own self-awareness and my self-discovery journey. But what it revealed to me was how incredible the mind is at hiding itself from yourself yes. and how all of these other practices I had been devout in my yoga, in my daily meditation, in my reading and studying and self-reflection and journaling. I was checking all of the boxes in this like self-healing journey thing and was still completely blindsided by this fear body that was living in me, deeply in me. And so it just really revealed so much about the mind, which I also have a deep fascination with the mind because I was diagnosed with depression at the age of 14. And so I've worked with a heavy mind. I'll say that in polite nature, right? A heavy mind. I've worked with that my whole life. And so learning how to unravel depression and, and heal the self of my depression has been this lifelong journey that I've been devoted to. And so um, an aspect of that first awareness of fear, uh, it was combination of the profoundly mystical that's available to us when we know how to access it in our body, but also the brilliance of the mind that even when you're engaging in some of these other practices consistently, that our mind still has the capacity to hide us from us. And that's really where, to me, the plant medicines come in and support this next level of healing that is inaccessible or difficult for people to access, even if they are very, very committed to these other modalities. That's interesting. I mean, it's also to your point, like, and we should talk about the depression a little bit. It's, I I don't think people realize the power of moving the energy out of the Mm -hmm. body, because if you Mm do unravel, you pull that hair out, that's like wrapped (laughs) around everything to continue that analogy. It's what they don't realize is that hair is also connected to patterns and behavior. Yes. And so, so quickly, which you might spend so much money and years in therapy. And I always say I am pro-therapy. I'm not anti-therapy, but I do think Mm -hmm. there are things you can do a lot more efficiently when you can tackle it. You can unravel. It takes it out. You unravel it. There's no longer an anchor for that behavior anymore. Yes. And so- I'd be curious for you to talk about when you say having to unravel, first of all, what did a heavy mind feel like for you? Like, Mm -hmm. what did that mean for you? So I'd love for you to explain that. And then talk about a little bit how when you discovered this fear that I'm sure took you then on a deeper journey of other things, Mm -hmm. cannabis probably helped you, meditations probably helped you open up. How did it then change your relationship with depression? Well, it's it's fascinating because you know, when I was diagnosed with depression and the first 20 years of this diagnosis that I held and carried like a scarlet letter, yes, that it was, my brain is broken. Your brain Mm. is broken. Oh, just like a diabetic, they need insulin. Their body just doesn't make the right things. That's like your brain and your brain is just broken. And they did the best that they could. And so I recognized that, but also the programming that that reinforces over two decades of me hearing your brain is broken. Your brain is broken. You're stuck like this. You're damaged. You're wrong. You're bad in some way. And so the, 
the unraveling of the depression over the last five years really has been this incredible and ongoing never it's not ending i'm not done yet like i've you can't expect that you could unravel 20 years of that state of being in even just five years of time even though i've been completely devoted to this work the whole time it takes time for the brain to reorient itself mm-hmm. um and so the fear brought online the nervous system and it made me aware of how much panic I was holding in my body. And so what I, I formerly believed that I was depressed and had episodes of anxiety and I would spend most of my time in a depressive cycle and then I'd have bouts of anxiety and that was kind of the cycle that I was in. That new awareness actually revealed to me that I was actually chronically anxious. anxious. And what would happen is that my nervous system would get to a point of just absolute exhaustion and it would just pull the plug and it would shut me all the way down and I would just go into a depressive state. And so a heavy mind could be anything from, I can't get out of bed. I just want to sleep. I have no interest in things. All of like your classical symptoms, suicidal ideations. Um, But it was also deeply connected to my fear, my fear of being alive, my fear of living, my fear of being myself. And so anytime that I was feeling better and I would try to step out of my comfort zone, the fear would overwhelm me and then would reinforce that I'm worthless, that I have nothing to offer the world, that I'm never going to get my shit together, that I'm always going to need my family's help. And it was just kind of that cycle of being and thinking, being and thinking, being and thinking. And so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you say the fear of being alive. Can you like Mm -hmm. open that up a little bit? Yeah, like I think, the biggest awareness that has come through my healing and my journey that I've been on working with plant medicines and working with sober modalities like meditation and yoga and all these other things, the awareness of like, I actually have a far greater fear of living, of fully living than I do of dying in a way. And these so many years I've spent in suicidal ideations or in dark, heavy states of being that it was just me afraid of stepping out into my truest self and to my most authentic expression of who I am and who I want to be in the world um, and feeling really weighted down or heavy down, not trusting of my own self because my anxiety and the depression was so overwhelming that I didn't have enough faith in myself that I could do anything without one or the other of those two things sabotaging or shutting down my whole program and then me failing at the finish line or whatever the fear was, right? And so I would just then recluse in and just be afraid of just even being alive. It was wild. Huh. And so when you started like opening yourself up to a this, I'm, I'm operating a different way. Like it's anxiety mm-hmm. versus this talk about then how this shifts and I get it. It's an ongoing process, mm-hmm. but what did you start noticing? So once I became aware of the fear, I could not unsee it. And then mm-hmm. it was looking at my life and being like, I literally spend every single waking moment terrified. And I'm a single woman. I was living in LA at the time. I was trying to figure out my path and my purpose and do all this healing work. And just, I I felt like a complete mess and I didn't know where I was in so many senses. And then all of a sudden this fear came on and it was so overwhelming. And so it would be walking down the street. It's parking my car. It's living in my apartment. It's every second of every day living in fear. And so that new awareness, not only was it 
excruciating, like agonizing to be aware of how much fear I was holding. But then it was really learning how to ground and how to comfort and how to move energy. And so like that importance of saying, okay, recognizing there's fear here. All right. I feel that. Where does it, where do I feel it in my body? And I'm exploring that. And what is the sensational quality of fear? And then what does the presence of that sensation do to the mind or to the energy field or to the physical body? So I began applying all of this stuff I had learned through mindfulness-based stress reduction and learned through a formal meditation practice. I started applying it to these moments of like, I'm completely panicked going to Trader Joe's. What is going on here? How do I regulate myself? And that began learning how to do that. I then started studying trauma and studying um, polyvagal theory and understanding the nervous system and understanding the way that the body and the nervous system create so much of the mind state. And so then instead of looking at myself and seeing a broken brain, I started looking at myself and seeing a dysregulated nervous system that was inflaming a scared brain. And so then it all became a different dialogue instead of me going, God, you're such a piece of shit. You're broken. You don't work. Right. Then it could become a, okay, there's fear. We're, we're afraid. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. There's a sense of comfort. There's a new compassion that came in and that compassion really was the driving force in allowing the practice like cannabis meditation to shift so many other things in my being. One of them being the state of my nervous system. The practice is so beautifully profound. It has incredible spiritual potential, but the reason it's the most incredible is because of the way that it supports the reconditioning of the nervous system. And it can pull the body out of these chronic states, either fight or flight or completely disassociated and shut down. It can pull you into a state of co-regulation and awareness that is where that wisdom really starts to flow into your whole being. So you're saying just because, I mean, just the fact that the plant medicine alone kind of calms the nervous system, you reach deeper senses, you just get to deeper places in meditation. Mm -hmm. It can calm the nervous system, which I think is fascinating. The other thing that it can do is exasperate the nervous system. And so similar to my first experience of laying there in absolute fear, right? That was my whole nervous system really coming Mm -hmm. online after living in a chronic state of disassociation. And so although that experience for somebody who has experienced trauma and who has been living in that state of disassociation, although it can feel really overwhelming in that moment to have the whole system come online at one moment, but the awareness and the, now the connection, the mind body connection that's made through the practice, this is where for me, I was missing something in my other modalities that I was pursuing because I was so disassociated because of the trauma that I had experienced was so disassociated from the body. I was finding myself finding peaceful states of meditation you know, nice, quiet mind and grounding and all those things, but it wasn't helping my body. And so this is when I really started pursuing the studying of somatics and um, let learning how cannabis meditation is actually a somatic practice more than it is a meditation practice. Um, but cannabis meditation is more, you know, easier to convey what we're doing instead of a 
cannabis somatic, you know, expression, emotional release, especially at the time that I created it, you know, now that language is much more mainstream, but it wasn't back at the time. So, so I, I feel like cannabis meditation has just been this thread that has been weaving through up and down in and out through everything that I have been studying in my own pursuit of healing. And then as I've come to share the practice with others, to use cannabis meditation inside of coaching relationships and helping people one-on-one using this practice in a similar way. Um, and just the feedback that I've received from my virtual community that I hold these meditations every week, just the profound nature of the plant and the plant medicine and what it can do, that alone is mind boggling. But when you really start to look at the reconditioning of the nervous system and the reprogramming of the, of the mind that is happening through these states of being, it's just remarkable. Well, yeah, two things. I want you to talk about the adaptogenic nature of it. But also, we should chat about the nervous system for anyone who's listening to this who's not as savvy about what that means. Because I talk about that all the yes. time in my classes, too, where I'm like, your nervous system just, it, it only can, ha- you got to train it. Like, it can only mm-hmm. handle so much and you can increase its container. But it's like, like you said, it'll shut down like a computer. If it's, mm-hmm. if it's not up to date or it can't handle the energy coming in, it will shut down. And like you said, yes. you can go through depressive states or you know, it's trauma or you just can't handle whatever's happening in that moment. And the more we can get this nervous system regulated and working at optimum, you know, optimum performance, it's going to be able to handle all this shit coming your way. So talk a little bit more about the nervous system, because I think that's really helpful for people to understand it. Of course. Yeah. Well, I also feel like this is where there's a danger in the psychedelic renaissance that's happening right now on our in our culture, right? Is that people are hungry for fast results. And so we're jumping to big psychedelics and we don't understand what they're doing to the nervous system or the nervous system, at least of the masses from a collective perspective, can't handle that. And so by going and eating a bunch of psychedelic medicines before the nervous system is conditioned or, or stretched to hold that type of experience, there's actually greater potential to do more harm than good. And I'm probably the only psychedelic advocate, or maybe I'm not the only one. I don't want to claim I'm the only one, but there's not many psychedelic advocates that are out there going, whoa, 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 easy. I'm a huge advocate for psychedelic medicines, but the masses are not ready for them from the nervous system perspective. And so when you think about the nervous system, the analogy that I like to use is if you imagine that your brain is like a puddle of silly putty. And it just sits up there and we think it runs the show. But if you think of the nervous system, like taking that same thing of silly putty and just stretching it in all directions and then wrapping it around your whole body, like a mum, like a mummy, basically, that's your nervous system. And so the nervous system that moves through the whole entire being is as intelligent and holds as much memory and wisdom as this clump of glue up here or goo up here in your, in your skull. And so this is where the somatic piece is so necessary. And even your remark about talk therapy, I'm a huge fan of talk therapy, but until we employ the body, we're only going to get so far. The body, the brain is only going to take us so far. And so when one has experienced any type of trauma, whether it happens one time in your life or it happens repeatedly in your life and trauma can be anything from what we think about trauma, catastrophic abuse or horrific things, but trauma can also just be absent parents or people that weren't helping you as a young, innocent child learn how to co-regulate emotions and anything in between. And so ultimately the human condition is 
plagued by trauma. Every single one of us has our own form of it in one way, shape or the other. And so the way that our experience with trauma, it creates a chronic state in our nervous system. And we formerly used to think it was fight or flight or rest and digest. And that's the only two places that your body can be, but that's just not true. And so as the polyvagal theory has come out, which suggests that there is a third path of the nervous system that is required for social engagement, for emotional co-regulation, for building safe and honest intimacy with other people, Mm. for connecting in community and to tribe. All of those things cannot happen if the nervous system is in a stress or trauma response. And most of us are so dis connected or disassociated from our nervous systems that we don't even know it's there. Just like I didn't know that that fear was in my body until I knew and then I couldn't not see it. So when we're working with trauma or the trauma body, essentially, which is the, the sheath of the body that holds memory of our trauma and our trauma states and what happened to us after. And it's not even necessarily what happened to us that causes the nervous system dysfunction or dysregulation. It's what happened immediately following. Did we have a safe space to be comforted? Did we have someone to help us make sense of the experience? Because humans are resilient Mm -hmm. and we can survive crazy, crazy things. You see people that survive an avalanche and get that they chew off their own arm. They can survive (laughs) crazy things. It's not necessarily about what happened. It's about What didn't happen for you afterwards, especially for someone who experiences traumatic states or traumatic things in early in early childhood. And so if we're left to fend for ourselves, then what happens over time is our nervous system fends for ourselves. And it's just a protection mechanism. But the problem is, is that it hardens the fascia system. It hardens the body. It creates stagnant pockets of energy that can lead to dysfunction and dis-ease in the body. And that's all because the nervous system is completely locked. And so as I was describing with my mental illness, where it was high states of anxiety, meaning my nervous system just running fucking rampant, just going insane, fear, alarm, sirens going off internally. And I'm just like, oh my God, I can't make sense of my reality until everything shuts down and I'm basically dead inside. And I'm like, I don't, I'm I'm dead inside. And that was the cycle that I lived in for 20 years. Uh And so learning how to not only become aware of the cycle, but to open the body, I had to learn how to build safety, safety in my body. First and foremost, we can't heal when we don't feel safe. We won't heal if we don't feel safe. It's just like you can't heal in the environment that made you sick. But if your body is living in a chronic state of fear or panic or flight or disassociation, then it will not send energies to expansion and to healing because it believes that there's a cheetah around the corner that's about to jump out and eat us, right? And we're it's that instinctual and animalistic in its response to the stress that we experience in our life. And so I say nervous system is king or queen, whatever you want. The nervous system runs the show. show. It absolutely is the thing. And so if we address the brain without the nervous system, we're only going to get so far. And if eating a fistful of psychedelics in the jungle or in your living room or wherever, if you're doing that before addressing the chronic state of the nervous system, then you're setting yourself up for some discomfort at at best, all the way up to um, an unpleasant or harmful or even dangerous situation with with mind-altering compounds. So a couple of things on that. How did you make your body feel safe when you started 
going through on this new relationship? Well, I think it honest it was very elementary. It had to be because I had to go back to when I I mean, I had experienced abuse as early as three years old. So I literally had to start speaking to myself in that same age energy, which was, It's okay, it's okay, you're okay, I got you, you're okay, you're not by yourself. I got you right here. So it was a lot of tapping, a lot of touching, a lot of like pressing into my thighs, a lot of returning to my breath, a lot of using sensory input. So it's like, okay, I'm I can feel the ground. Okay. I can see what's in my room. Okay. I can hear sounds or I can smell. So using my senses to draw me back into this present moment and learning to recognize that so much of my fear was exasperated by my projection into the future, afraid of what's coming, afraid of what's not coming, afraid of losing that thing. And it's all of these beautiful teachings that I've learned through my studies of all types of different things. Buddhism was a huge influence in understanding our attachment or our aversion and how so much of our suffering is just boiled down to those two things. And so just like understanding or, and applying, I had studied and studied and studied and studied. And then all of this stuff actually started making sense. (laughs) And it was like, oh, I get it. That was the book I was reading before. That makes more sense now. And so as I was exploring all these different things, it was starting at a very silly, basic elementary, you're okay. I got you. I got you. You're right here. We're right here. Feel the ground. Okay. What are you actually afraid of? What are you actually afraid of? And I would ask that question over and over. And then the answer would come and it was, they're going to leave or they're going to reject me or I'm going to be a made fool of or I'm going to be broke or I'm going to run out of money. You know, whatever the big fear thing was, it would just present. And then I would say, okay, all right, we can handle that. Once you bring it into the light, you can address it and acknowledge it intelligently. But if it lives unconscious in you and it's just a nervous system automatic reaction state, then you're left kind of whipping around at the you know, the highs and lows of the nervous system. And so starting at that very elementary space of you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. And then now letting safety be the foundation of every single practice that I do, not only for myself, but for others. Because I know that if the body does not feel safe, we cannot do anything in the healing arts. It just won't happen. And so my work as a facilitator is to create safety in the space or in the room or online or whatever and help people to become aware of, do you actually feel safe in your body? And the answer for most people is no, especially now in this state of being and the political climate and the culture that we're experiencing and everything that's going on. Most humans do not hold or sustain a real authentic sense of safety in the body. And so that's really where my work kind of starts and ends. Like until we have safety, we have nothing. Until we drop into safety in the body, cannabis meditation is going to be uncomfortable. Regular meditation is not going to get you very far. And that's going to be kind of the the state of it. And so safety is is really the pinnacle of everything that I that I create or attempt to create. So when you talk about safety and you talk about this idea of, you know, you have to have some awareness of your nervous system and connection, do you recommend people jumping right into a cannabis meditation if So talk about that. Yeah. So cannabis meditation, it's a self-awareness practice. And so sometimes it is a little uncomfortable because she will reveal the truth. Mm -hmm. And if the truth is that you're living in a chronic state of fear day in and day out, every second of every day, she's going to show that to you. But when you're in a container and I, I, 
I, like I said, I intentionally create as much safety for my people as I can. When you're in a container, when you can go, okay, I'm safe here and you can witness whatever's true for you in a way that's accepting and non-judgmental in a space that says, it's okay if you feel overwhelmed. It's okay if you feel unsafe. I have a, I, I call it the international face of what the fuck. And so during my <laughs> Monday night meditations, if at any point during meditation, you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed or you're feeling unsafe, then you flip your camera on and you look in your camera like this. <laughs> and that's the international face of what the fuck. And that just communicates to me like, hey, somebody in my space is having a, a, a time or a moment and I need to be present with them. And so she, the practice will reveal to you what's true. And so if you're on a healing path of any kind or a, a evolution path of any kind, and you're hitting a wall, there's likely something in there in the nervous system, buried in the nervous system that you don't know is there. And so, yeah, come to cannabis meditation. It will show you. And the, the reason I love this practice and I'm such an advocate for it as a preparatory tool for those interested in other psychedelic medicines is that if your nervous system is not prepared to experience an out of body or a altered state of consciousness or a profound or mystical experience, if your nervous system is not ready for that, the cannabis is actually going to keep you from having that type of experience. And so she kind of creates this built-in buffer of safety. And you'll probably just lay there and think I'm weird and think the practice is weird and think all these people on my call are just, you know, a bunch of stoner hippies and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and your mind will judge all of the things on why it doesn't work for you or why you don't like it. And there's that whole judgment process that the brain goes through. And that's really just the nervous system going, oh, I didn't feel safe there. Right. Because it feels scary to come into awareness of yourself sometimes, especially if you've been far, far disassociated from yourself for a really long time. To now, I mean, this is a good time to say you are actually doing an amazing new moon ceremony with cannabis for the den online. Yes. Anyone, anyone can do it from anywhere. Yes. It's um, Thursday at 420, yes. um, April 20th. What <laughs> what time is it at Pacific Standard Time? Uh, oh, shoot. Do you of remember? Course. I think it's, I th it's seven mountain time. So that's six, six Pacific time. Six I think. Pacific time, seven mountain yes. time, wherever you are in the world, make, yes. that, make that calculation because anyone can do it. So what do you recommend? So let's say for people who have, who don't do cannabis regularly, what, mm -hmm. like, what do you recommend? What do people have to show up with in general when they're doing this for the first time or with you? So generally speaking, you don't have to use cannabis. I just always like to throw that out there, that if people are curious or interested, but a little bit apprehensive or unsure, just come to the practice and experience the community, experience my style of guiding, um, and have the experience without cannabis medicine. So if you're on the fence or unsure, or you don't know, then do that. Come there. And so for this particular workshop, we're going to talk about cannabis meditation, what to expect, what might happen to your body. I will talk a little bit about the nervous system and how it can be impacted through this practice. Um, and so if you're, if you're unsure or you don't have cannabis off the top of your head or you're not trying to do all of that before the workshop, but you're curious, just come without. No problem. If you have dabbled in some cannabis or you have some around or you know how to get some and you want to try it, I usually recommend people smoke cannabis as part of the ceremony. Ceremony. If smoking is inaccessible, you can absolutely use an edible or a tincture or something like that and just time it properly, which is usually about 45 minutes before we start the workshop, you'll eat your edible or consume your cannabis. Um, if you are going to smoke, then we'll do that together as sort of part of the ceremony. And it kind of becomes a bit ceremonious in our 
in the way that we offer a blessing over the medicine and then we consume together. It's sort of, it's very community oriented in that state. If you're super comfortable with cannabis, then come and, and have a, have a beautiful journey and a beautiful experience in a way that, um, will change your relationship to this plant. My, my, I, I always love working with people that have never smoked weed before because it's always so magical and so fun. But one of my favorite ways to share this practice is with people that are very, very comfortable with cannabis. They think they know, you know, they've been smoking weed for as long as I have and blah, blah, blah. And they come and I'm like, no, no, this is a new way to work with this plant. And so it can change your relationship to it completely. I was going to ask, how has your relation, this literally was my next question. How has your relationship changed from going, is it, talk oh, to me about uh, that. It's a hundred percent. 360 degrees, like completely revolutionarily different. So I do genuinely believe that if you come to cannabis inside of a sacred practice of healing, of meditation, of expansion, of evolution, whatever you want to call it, then you have to be prepared for in, in sense, it's an initiation and it's an initiation out of the unconscious and out of the stigmatized relationship that you have to cannabis. Because ultimately my relationship to cannabis was that she was my dirty little secret. Mm-hmm. And I did her in the closet by myself when no one was around. And I put drops in my eyes so that nobody would know I was high. And I practiced controlling myself so that nobody could tell I was high. Right. And so that was my relationship with her for so long. So then to come out of the cannabis closet, you know, and to a create a platform, talk about this publicly, um, but then show people how to use cannabis as a sacred ally for profound spiritual journeys and profound spiritual work. She took me on an initiation and I've seen this happen with lots of people in my community where you have to change the unconscious relationship that you have to the plant if you're going to use the plant consciously. And that can come through some extreme discomfort if you are slightly resistant to changing the relationship that you have with her um, because those old habits, they they die hard, as they say. Like It is hard to break that habitual codependent relationship that we all formerly had. And I say we being just the stoners that have been hiding their cannabis consumption for years, that codependent, sneaky, dirty, little secret, shameful relationship that we had with her. If we're going to now use it as a spiritual ally and a tool for healing and evolving consciousness, then you got to be prepared for her to refine that part of your relationship to her. So it has completely changed. I use way, 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 way less cannabis. Now. Um, I use very, very low, like low THC percentage flour. Um, I work with edibles that are usual and tinctures that are ratios of THC to other cannabinoids like CBD and CBG to soften the experience. And so my relationship to her is, is much more mindful and it's not about feeling less right? Cannabis used to be my escape and now she helps, she makes me feel more. Mm. And so if I'm attempting to use her to disassociate and feel less, she's going to bite me in the tail and I'm going to feel all the things that I was trying to avoid feeling. Well, I was about to ask that too. So for a lot of people who are smoking regularly or doing cannabis regularly, it is a a distraction of their own feelings or emotions. Or like you said, there's no awareness of their nervous system and this keeps it that way. It's like a nice... So what happens, talk about that change of balance when you're all of a sudden using it and you're gaining awareness, but yet you're not numbing the parts that can be painful. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a 
tough journey. It, it, it really is because when you look at an unhealthy or unconscious relationship to cannabis, to me, what I see is a suppression or an oppression of trauma because trauma is the manifestation of pain in our body. And when we don't know where to point to where the pain originated from, then we are overwhelmed by it. And so then we need to check out and checking out is such a basic human behavior. It's, we all do it in so many different ways, right? Cannabis is just one of the ways that you can do it. And when you oversaturate the endocannabinoid system, meaning unconsciously, chronically over consuming cannabis, the nervous system and the connection point between the endocannabinoid system and the nervous system becomes very fatigued. And so this shadow side of cannabis, the stoner archetype exists for a reason because it is very, very real that that type of experience can happen if you're using chronically all day, every day, smoking a ton of weed to disassociate, right? If that is your pattern with the plant, then it's in order to revise or refine that relationship and evolve that relationship, you have to become aware of what it is that you're disassociating from, right? And that's really where the healing, this is what healing is, is just to come to awareness of the state of the nervous system and what was the root of why the nervous system is that way. If you are constantly disassociating, what are you disassociating from? That's really the question. And so to use cannabis as a tool of enlightenment, even if you would, to use it as a tool of higher awareness, if you don't like the word enlightenment, just higher awareness, right? If you're using her to do that, then you have to be ready that the light will eventually be shined on the lower awareness thing that you have been disassociating from maybe since childhood. And so for me, that included trauma that in, that happened to me at three or five years old that I had suppressed. I didn't even know I had experienced that. And I was literally just going to ask you that too. It's like you just keep answering the questions I'm <laughs> yes, just about to ask. It's that's so amazing. <laughs> well, I was going to say, were you aware of that trauma? Because you said three earlier. Were you mm -hmm. aware of the abuse from when you were younger? No, I had no idea. And I was suspicious of it because I have, I, I can see clear as day my intimacy issues, <laughs> my sense of fear of intimacy and mistrust of people and, um, just the the challenges that I have in really connecting with people sometimes. And so I had been suspicious for years that I had experienced abuse as a young child. And I had worked with other plant medicines, with cannabis meditation, with regular meditation. I've done EMDR. I've done body talk, all of these different things to help open up the truth of what's happening in my body. And it was after all of these things. And one day I was completely stone cold sober. And I went to a, a session with a practitioner who does a modality called body talk. And she just said, what happened between the ages of three and five? And my whole mind just opened and I saw the memory. I remembered it. I remembered who the person was. I felt it in my body and it was devastating. I mean, honestly, it was absolutely devastating. And I laid on that table and I wept and just wept and wept through the process. But as soon as I admitted or acknowledged, yes, that I had experienced that type of abuse, all of these puzzle pieces came together and they all linked up and everything made sense. My fear that I carry every day of my life can, is connected to that. My mistrust of men is connected to that. My trouble and intimacy and, and my fear around sexuality and sexual expression, all of those things, I could see them all linked back to this one thing. And so then what's, what is, what is the adult version of you do 
when you see the child version of you being abused? And how do you bend time to go back to that version of self and be the source of safety and comfort for that child? Um, And that's what reparenting work really is about. And so when that awareness came online, it answered so many questions about why I was the way that I was, including why my brain was broken. It's not that my brain was broken. It's that I have been living terrified since I was three years old when someone that I trusted broke and violated something in me that I didn't even understand what that meant at the time and couldn't even remember it until I was 36. How was your relationship with that person through from the rest of your life, not from now, not when you, mm-hmm. before you had awareness. They, they, they were a friend of a family member. And so there was a period of time when I was being babysat by them. And then after that period of time left, he left my life and I, there's been zero contact ever since. Um, and so there is no relationship with that person in my life. I have a, I had a fondness of him. I remembered him playing with me a lot when I was a child. Um, and so I remember those, that fondness that I had of him. And so there's been this very interesting, weird reconciling of that. Plus I also struggle just as to, to admit what happened to me means that I am indicting this other person, or I'm saying that they did that. And there's a part of me that was fearful of that because, I don't have memory of the incident, if that makes sense. I don't have a conscious memory of it happening. But when I admitted that it happened, all of these other puzzle pieces fell into place and everything made sense in my body. And so trusting my body means that I have to say that this person did this. And, and that that's probably been the most challenging part is being an adult who's then looking at this person who I have no connection to whatsoever and being like, wow, you, you fucked up my whole life in a way. And that's a, that's a, that's a heavy thing to place on another And have person. you verbalized that out loud, like meaning to your family or to him or? Um, not to him. I would never, I would never seek contact. I don't need to. That's unnecessary. I have like when I admitted it to my mother and I told her my experience and we talked about it and she cried and I cried and it was like a whole thing. Um, I think just saying it out loud and letting somebody else validate the experience for me, even though she was heartbroken because she felt all of her own feelings about leaving me with, you know, someone who would have caused harm. Um, But I feel like just having a safe space to say, hey, this happened to me. And not only did this happen to me, but now I believe that this was actually the root of so many other of my problems, my issues, is that it stemmed from this thing. It was this violation, this betrayal that made me feel so unsafe in the world. And then in my little three-year-old mind, I go, well, why didn't my mom keep me safe? Well, why didn't my dad protect me? Why am I out here all by myself? And so creating that shaped my nervous system, shaped my fear of people and my mistrust of people, which then perpetuated more trauma throughout my lifetime. So then when I'm in my early 20s, and I am drinking and partying a lot and disconnecting and disassociating because I have no idea using cannabis and alcohol to be on another planet and then putting myself in other situations that were equally as unsafe because that unsafety is what my nervous system knew. And so then also coming to terms with the ways that I had perpetuated my own repeating and recurring trauma through my life, this has been the unwinding of the depression. It's And it's still actively happening. I'm still working through understanding 
why I am how I am, recognizing the mind as a computer, as a program, right? Recognizing the nervous system as an intelligent but um, chronic state of being and working with these two parts of my being to find to find peace and to, to live in safety and to feel truly not fearful. And, and that's been probably my greatest spiritual practice is really learning how to trust. What did fear look like for you when you were a kid? Because it sounds like when you were saying you weren't aware that it was fear. So it's not like you walked around being like, I'm fearful of this. So mm-hmm. how did you, how did it come out for you? Um, I think it was just like a lot of internalizing, a lot of internalizing fear and feeling like I'm by myself, very like paranoid as a little kid and nervous. I was also very empathic and I can feel energy very, very clearly. And so not knowing that at the time either contributed to my overwhelmed state. Mm -hmm. I was overwhelmed a lot as a child, constantly not feeling well, always have a tummy ache or having a headache and needing to go to the nurse's office or just, Mm. you know, needing to stay home from school or um, just lots of different ways that I would feel overwhelmed and fearful as a child um, playing out in, in, all kinds of different symptoms. You know, I was a cheerleader. That was like my biggest outlet. I loved, I loved cheerleading. That was my favorite thing, but there was still so much fear around me, um, executing my tricks or executing my skills. And so I was really good in practice and I trained a bunch, but then when we'd get on the floor to compete or in front of a crowd, I would, you know, mess up or I would do something wrong or just this going back to this fear of being alive, this fear of being successful. I see it rolling through my whole entire life from the age, even when I was 14. Yes. The hair, (laughs) even at 14 years old, being afraid of being successful in my athleticism and being successful in my technical skills that I worked so hard on. So, um, and I see all of it connected to don't draw too much attention to yourself. Because if you draw attention to yourself, you're more likely to be harmed. And so this notion of stepping into my power, of learning how to use my voice, of letting myself be a gifted whatever it was, whether it was cheerleader or it was practitioner or it was whatever, letting myself be gifted in any way was a huge, huge siren in my body of, no, 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 no. If more people see you, then you're at more risk. There's more risk of danger. Um, And so again, this is still constantly something that I'm working on as I'm working on developing a platform and growing a platform and, and bringing more eyes on my work. There's that inner child in me that I'm still, it's okay. It's okay. We're good. This is good. This is a part of your path. This is part of your Dharma sharing this practice, breaking the stigma of cannabis. This is part of why I'm on the earth at this point in history. Mm. And I believe that I really do believe that. I love that. How has your relationship with people changed? Cause you said that was, Mm -hmm. you had a hard time connecting. It's, it, it's in progress still. I mean, I want to say like, oh yes, it's great. I'm healed. You know, I'm all enlightened now. That's not the case. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Um, I, I trust myself on my gut instincts about people a lot more than I have in the past. And that is helping me a lot more. And so before, because when you are traumatized, you're, you don't trust yourself. And so if, if somebody says the right thing, even though the vibes are off, I would believe what they said, 
right? And so now through the lessons I've learned of many people trying to take advantage of me or taking advantage of my work or trying to exploit my work in some way, shape, or form or seeing a dollar sign on me and wanting to, you know, be the thing that helps me be the thing or whatever it is. Yes, I now can feel energetically when there's truth and truth to me is love, truth to me is God, truth to me is wisdom. So what I can sense the presence of truth. And so I'll say, okay, I'll just give this time. And so I tell people a lot in my life, you know, I ask for patience. I ask constantly for people to, for grace in that, like, I am really learning how to trust people, but it is really hard because even now as my platform and my practice gets more sort of attention, there's so many people that have a million ideas on how they can help my Mm -hmm. practice become the thing. And I'm just not interested in that. I'm interested in the safe and slow growth of this in a way that actually supports people. I don't need to blow up overnight and have a bunch of people feeling like they're unsupported in learning how to use this practice. And so I'm really cautious and mindful of that. Mm -hmm. So people that are in my life, they are persistent in revealing to me their heart about why they want to be in my life. And a lot the people that are in my life know the amount of abuse or manipulation I've experienced. And so they're joyful in offering that to me to build that safety and that trust. And so I'm getting better for sure. I'm not scared of people anymore. I, my body doesn't shut down and do the things when I have to speak to men or, you know, talk to a group or any of those things. I have come night and day difference. Um, but when it comes to my personal life and really having people inside my inner sphere of safety, um, it does take a little bit more time for me to open up and to feel really safe with people. I mean, look, you opened up beautifully here. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's true. And it's going to be so helpful because I think so many people can relate to all of this. And also you're Mm -hmm. offering such a beautiful service. And again, you guys remember there's a new moon ceremony on Thursday, 420, just for the fun of it, um, to be able to experience it and work with you, which is incredible because I mean, I, I, I love what you say. It's like this she's a teacher and she, she seems like a nice little grandma. Like she just Mm kind of like holds your hand through it. She's going to tell you the truth. And that's the, 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 to me, the best teachers are the ones that give the the most honest, loving truths. That's how, you know, it's a good teacher. And, and so cannabis will reveal all the pain. She'll reveal the shadow and that's what she does. And I think in so many ways, when you learn how to work with cannabis as a psychedelic, which is what I essentially teach people how to do with cannabis meditation is that we're learning how to work with the psychedelic properties of this plant, meaning potential for spiritual, mystical, or out of body. That's what, to me, what a psychedelic experience is defined as. And so teaching people how to use this plant in this way, you can't expect that she won't reveal to you the entirety of the truth and whatever Mm -hmm. the entirety of your truth might be. And so my, my hope is to just keep creating spaces where it says, Hey, it's okay if you feel like a traumatized three-year-old today, because I've been there and I know what that feels like. And I know what laying on the ground, writhing and sobbing your guts out and laying in a puddle of your own snot and how much grief is present in your body. Like I know I get it. I've been there. And, um, just really letting the practice show you what is true. Um, it's like, it's truly, truly life-changing. It's really life-changing. It's amazing. It, and it's, it's funny because, you know, when you describe it like that, some people might be like, that sounds awful, but there mm-hmm. is, 
such a freedom to yes. that. And I think yes. like just talk about that for a second before we wrap yes. up and you do your personal practice because yes. there is a freedom to having that ability to let it all go. Yes. Because again, you don't realize how much tension your nervous system is in around the hair, if you will, right? You don't realize that if there's a hair wrapped we've, all we've through your body. We've threaded this hair through the whole <laughs> episode just to keep it going. <laughs> but the body attaches to it as, it as it thinks it is a part of yourself after it's been there so long. It's no different than if like you get pins in a bone. I had pins in my finger when I was 10. You get pins in your bone, the bone tissue forms around that foreign object and the bone then thinks the object is part of it. And it's no different. So when we pull this hair out, it can feel a little bit painful in releasing some of that energy that's been stuck in your body. However, once it's out, it's like, holy shit. I didn't even realize it was in there, right? Like the amount of energy that you're siphoning away that you're losing just by holding on to this thing, you don't realize how much of your life force energy you're giving away. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the other analogy that I'll use is like when you clean your bathroom and you didn't realize that your bathroom was dirty until you cleaned it and you're like, oh, damn, shit, my bathroom was so dirty. (laughs) Right? It's like you don't realize it until the after. And on the after, the freedom that comes, the liberation that comes, the clarity of mind that comes, but then also the higher connection to your intuition, spiritual gifting that comes in, the empathy and the ability to sense and perceive energies, all of these other sixth and beyond senses that humans have and are capable of, they start to come online as you release more and more of that old stagnant trauma energy out of the body. And ultimately that's, that's where I get super fired up. It's like, yeah, let's clear the field so that we can step into this expansion so that we can step into these beautiful, remarkable, mystical experiences to contemplate what is God? What is the universe? What is source? What is the mysteries? And what are all these things that so many people have been telling us that are wrong for thousands of years? It's just, it's fascinating. And I think it's interesting because, you know, you use the word, which I use too, stagnant energy. And I think if you look at it that way too, this idea of being able to move that out, the lightness that remains and the space for the energy to flow to allow you to go to that next space. You know, it it allows the space to exist that before you have no clue how heavy you are sometimes until you let it go. And that to me, cannabis meditation is like a lazy girl somatic practice because it's moving so much energy and all you have to do is just completely relax the body. Mm. And so some of these other somatic practices require different engagement and they're all, they serve tremendous purposes. And for cannabis meditation, it is a somatic practice. And even though you're just laying there, but you're surrendering to letting the energy do whatever the energy is doing on your behalf and trusting that this plant medicine and the practice coupled with your intention for your own healing and evolution is healing your body from the inside out. And that combination is where the magic really lives. Oh my God. Well, thank you. Thank you for being here. I can't wait for your personal practice because I think it's going to be phenomenal for everyone. And I cannot wait for your workshop. So everyone remember 420 Thursday, um, 6 PM West coast time. So whatever that means, you can do this from anywhere. (laughs) It's a virtual practice um, and it's going to be incredible and it will be illuminating. (laughs) It will be illuminating. You will know yourself differently. I I can promise you that for sure. It's a beautiful space to be in. And thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing with us. Yes, I really thank appreciate you for, it. Thank you for the safe space. I really appreciate it. And um, I think that 
talking about these hard things, this is the only way that we heal as a, as a collective, as a community of people. So I appreciate the platform and the space that you hold and um, just your heart and intention behind bringing this, all this stuff um, through Den to, to the masses. So it's just Thank a privilege you. to be here. Well, look, you healing yourself is healing others. So <laughs> Thank I you. appreciate yes. that. No, I yes, do. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. I am. Um, been the my most sacred life's undertaking for sure has been to heal myself and we're not there yet but we're making good progress yes you are yes (laughs) so now colette's going to lead us in a personal practice which is a conscious breathing exercise Okay. So if you would like to have some cannabis to have a little introduction and taste into what meditating with cannabis might feel like, you can go ahead and um, do that. Just having a a couple of breaths, one or two puffs of cannabis really is all that you need for a mindfulness practice. Um, But feel free to have as much as you'd like if you're comfortable or if you're comfortable with cannabis. So for the rest of us, we're just going to come to a seated position. We're going to think about growing the top of our head up towards the ceiling as we root our sacred down towards the earth. If you want to grab some of the flesh away from the sit bones so that you make a really clear point of grounding between the bottom of your body and the earth or this, uh, whatever you're sitting on, just making that contact, rolling the shoulders down away from the ears, lengthening up through the crown, the top of the head, and think about the spine growing long. So as you close down the eyes, And just feel the length from the top of the head down to the sacrum and back again. Just feel this elongation of the spine as each of your vertebrae separate from the one below and beneath it, even by just a micro millimeter. With the eyes closed and your attention inward, just begin to breathe deeply. So as you inhale and draw air in through the nose, imagine smelling a beautiful bouquet of flowers. Filling the lungs and chest and belly with as much air as you can fit and then gently and softly relaxing as you allow the air to fall out of the nose again. Emptying yourself completely before drawing in your next breath. Inhaling again through the nose, fill the belly, the chest, the upper back. And just relaxing the rib cage, the collarbones, the core muscles, the abdomen, the pelvis, the low belly as you exhale and surrender. Breathing in again, filling the belly first. Feeling the belly expand, the lungs expand in all directions. And exhale as you let it go. I'm going to begin in these next few breaths by making some soft sounds as we exhale. So as you inhale through the nose, smelling your bouquet of flowers, filling your belly and chest and upper back with as much air as you can. And then just gently parting the lips and softly moaning as you exhale. (sighs) Inhaling in and through the nose. 
and softly moaning as you exhale, (sighs) feeling that slight vibration in the throat and the chest, breathing in through the nose, softly moaning as you exhale, (sighs) and just stay with this rhythm of breathing. And as you fill and deflate your lungs, just taking inventory of your human, noticing your physical body as it sits on the surface, the ground, noticing the mind, any activity that is present here in the mind, and just allowing the mind to think without involving yourself in thoughts. Becoming aware now of the emotion body, any emotions that are lying under the surface, or maybe you feel nothing, or maybe you feel everything, or just breathing and taking inventory. There is no right or wrong, no good or bad, it's just information. I'm just taking a moment to observe the energy body. Continue breathing deep and thorough breaths in through the nose. And gentle, soft exhales either through the nose or through a moan as you part the lips. And see if you can attune to the energy field in your body. The chakra systems as they run up and down the spine. The meridians or the channels that run up and down the body, the limbs, the face. Perhaps feeling energy through the fascia or the mycelium of the body, breathing in and out, staying with your breath, paying attention to what you feel. Everything that you feel is okay. Any unique or unusual sensations, any heavy or hard feelings or emotions, just breathe and feel. Breathe and feel. If you've had some cannabis, just Noticing what you feel in your body. Noticing how the cannabis medicine dances and interacts with your field. And stay with your breath. Big breath in through the nose. Fill the belly. And big and slow breath out you surrender the air back into the atmosphere. All we're here to do is feel. Feel your belly. Feel the sexual centers. Feel the pelvic floor. The pelvic bowl and the pelvis itself.
Feel the body, the weight of the legs. Feel the tingles or sensation in the hands or the fingers. Feel the heart beating in the chest, moving life and blood and energy through your body. Just feeling all the little muscles in the face, the facial expressions. Feel the energy in the third eye between the eyebrows, a buzzing in the forehead. Perhaps feeling even the crown of the head opening Receiving the white light of consciousness in and through the crown. Feeling the body connected energetically to the entire universe. You are one with the fabric of life. Breathing in and breathing out. The breath anchors you into the present moment and it carries you to the infinite. Returning to the breath to build safety in the body. Returning to the breath to find peace. Drawing one more deep breath in. Using the breath to bring some life energy back into the body. Maybe rolling the head a little bit from side to side. Wiggling the fingers or the toes. Placing one hand on the chest. And with the eyes closed, just comforting the self. I'm here for you, I've got you. Offering any other words of love, compassion or acceptance to the body that you might need to feel or hear. Closing your practice with any type of gesture or mantra, a word or a phrase or anything that symbolizes a closing or an end can do that now. Taking as long as you need to return to the body. It is my honor and privilege to guide you. Thank you so much.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.